Welcome to another edition of Unplug It. We're at the point where there are four games left in the home and away season. Of course, the Saints fans, we hope, and it's still alive that there is a possibility that there might be more than four games left upon the season. Remarkably, again, after consecutive losses, we face the prospect that if we win Friday night's game, we will enter the top eight. We cannot end the round in the eight because I believe Richmond and Fremantle play each other. So one of them you would think would probably get a result uh, in, that, in that particular game, uh, unless it, of course, was a draw. But obviously, first things first, we've got to get the job done. We come off a, a narrow loss to West Coast. Those are always disappointing, but it was a loss that didn't hurt as much as some of those in previous weeks against uh, notably Port Adelaide or the Crows. We did see the emergence Further of Max King, we saw a return to form of the man that we put the microscope on last week in Dan Butler. We saw strong performances from a number of players. And had Rowan Marshall not have gone to the precinct for a beer, you sense we probably would have got the job done uh, in that game. But we are still alive, albeit with work to do. Eight-point loss to the West Coast Eagles. Uh, We're still yet to win a game at Optus Stadium, but we've lost three of the four matches we played there by less than two goals. Uh, Nick, your summation of, of that, uh, it was a game that we never really looked like winning until it was about two and a half minutes to go. And I remember um, texting a couple of people when we got within seven points thinking, bugger, this has turned into a painful loss when it never looked like being that. Yeah, it's, it's one of those weird ones, isn't it? Because you look back in it and think, geez, it was really winnable in the end. But um, I mean, you you look at the fact that we're sitting here, you know, before round 19, I think it is maybe confused at the end of the year, round 19. And somehow we're still a shot at playing finals footy. And, and someone asked me during the week or, um, you know, earlier in the week to, to write an article out, which team is going to be the one that breaks through and, 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 you know, finally sews up that, um, that final spot. And I couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't do it because it's too hard to work out which of those teams you know, like us, that keeps bottling opportunities when, when given a shot, you know, each of these teams, whether it's us or Carlton or Essendon or GWS, even, you know, all you get a shot and and you get winnable games that, that are going to, you know, cement you a spot in the eight or, or get you back into the eight and in our, in our um, situation. And you just bottle those opportunities. And, you know, again, we, we had opportunities on the weekend and, and couldn't quite get it done. It was not a bad performance in the end. Um, you know, the, the loss, was a was a painful loss because, yeah, like you said, we, we probably could have won in the end. But um, you know, I, I think it was good we fought out. We fought it out to the very end. Um, there were times during that third and and even the start of the last quarter where I thought they were going to run away with it in the end, and and we were potentially going to put the cue in the rack and and give up, and we didn't. And that was really promising. And and you know, I think all in all, it was it was a positive performance. Certainly not our best performance by any by any stretch. But, you know, there were a lot of positives to come out of it. And, and you mentioned Butler before, and I'm sure we'll we'll touch on him, but but we were we were pretty harsh on him last week and um I, I still think rightly so. But his best year his best game of the year, Max King, obviously his best game of the year, likes likes playing against the Eagles. Had had a pretty good game against him earlier in the year and um, you know, they're a pretty decent a pretty decent back line. Got a couple of all Australian defenders in, in that defence. Um so you know we lost the game, but there were there were a lot of positives to come out of it, and um, you know I think we head into this week feeling, you know, if not confident of a win, at least confident that we can we can take it up and and we can really give this a, a good shake still. H, what did you uh, what did you make of it? It was it was one where um, 
we probably sit there and think, I mean, at half time we were staring at a belting. Uh, it didn't come. And it's probably fair to say that last seven minutes of the second quarter cost us the game. Well, you sort of look at stages of the game and you think, well, we played played better football in some patches than what we did the week before. It, no, absolutely. It's just one of those weird matches. I mean, we can't blame bad kicking. We can't blame the... Yeah. We didn't turn the ball over as much as what we did the week before. We, it, it was just one of those weird ones where the other team, the opposition we played was just better. Mm. That, and they were just better all game. And as you're saying, to the last, until we got to the last few minutes of the match, you're sort of thinking, oh, here we go. We're a shot here. But they just found that answer every time. They were able to just to find that answering goal when we, we pull within that goal towards right towards the end. And they just had the answer all night, basically. So it was it was their bit of taking, but yeah, they were, they, they were just on the game that night to keep us out of it, just to hold us at arm length. So, and that's the thing that good, good teams do, you know, and, and this hasn't been West Coast's best year. But, you know, when, when push came to shove in that game, it was, you know, Tim Kelly at the end of the second quarter and, and his kind of, like you said, seven-minute patch or ten-minute patch that kind of broke the game open for, for them. And then at the end of the game, it was Dom Sheed, you know, in those last few minutes that really, you know, put the pressure on and, and came to the fore and, and, and was the difference. And we just haven't had, you know, for, for all Jack Steele's incredible feats and efforts and, and whatever this year, he can't do it on his own. Um, and we just haven't had enough of those guys stand up in those moments, in those, in those moments, in those games that we needed to win. We just haven't had, you know, enough of those guys to, to, to have those moments. Yeah. We had a dominant key forward. One of the, one of the more dominant key forward games of the year by a player. I think he was too short. Max King of the record contested marks in a game with, with eighties kick six, basically kicked six straight. He missed one very early, which was sort of a half pass, half shot and, kick one that didn't quite make the distance in the last quarter, but had all of that working. So you had a dominant key forward. I thought our defence was slightly off. I think they've been pretty pretty resilient for a couple of months. But Howard, for example, just lowered his colours just when we didn't need him to, I guess. Um, some of our midfielders that have been really good form, like Crouch, like Steele, like Dunstan, were just a little bit quieter than they've been in other matches. And West Coast had at key stages, guys like Sheed and Kelly. And it was just a couple of little things. I mean, Zach Jones played a great game. Uh, Ryder did pretty well in the ruck. Um, clearly, um, the, the game of, of Max King was a standout. But we just probably didn't quite have enough. It was a funny one. We didn't... I, I would say against Port Adelaide, we might have had more contributors. But in this game, we had more standout performers. And everybody was okay. There were less mistakes. It just just didn't quite amount to um, enough to, to, to get us home. So, and that was frustrating. And look, Paul Hunter wasn't disgraced. I thought that was better than maybe he'd been earlier in the year. But just a couple of key stages. Obviously, he was able to kick a goal, but around the ground, Nat Nui, when he got that front and centre where he kicked a goal, and obviously the late one where Darling mm-hmm. took that mark. There were just just a couple of moments. And I said, it didn't, it didn't hurt as much as other games. It's just the way it is. But, yeah, it, you, you kind of feel that if... Um, if a couple of players had have just played sort of at the level that they had for the previous three or four weeks, it would have been enough. Yeah, that's just they they held a few of the players that, as we say in Steele, digs in every week. They held him quite well. I mean, his job was probably a little bit different mm. on the weekend. I think he probably had to chase a few more players than what he does normally. Mm. I would, for what has done this so far this season, he's he's 
probably had a little bit more of a tagging job to sort of stop them a bit more, but it, it's, he didn't have the impact. He didn't have just that leading position that he's had every other week. And you sort of go, okay, that, that step down. Jones stepped up a bit in, in that place. Um, but then we had Crouch drop back off what he's had for the last month or so, because the last month he's played has been great, but he drops off. Then I guess Hill's stepped up recently. He's played some pretty good football. He played pretty well again on the weekend. So it, it's just getting them all in those key games that we need to win all playing good football on the same day. But it's other games we've had earlier in the year where if Steele's dropped off, we haven't had that other player come and step up and play the better football in his, where he hasn't. So it's, as I say, it wasn't, it's one, not one of those games where we look back like against Richmond and go, oh, we we're terrible and lost, et cetera, et cetera. We played good football. We played, we played the game that was being played on that on that day. It just wasn't good enough in the end. It, but there wasn't really anything you go. That was really bad. That was really that wasn't good enough. That wasn't. It, it was. It it just didn't feel like um, the match was just going to go our way. It was just. Mm. It, it was there, but it just wasn't. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned the the defense earlier, and I think outside of probably the. Essendon game and the Bulldogs game where you can't really blame the defense for, for those losses. But I think this is probably the defensive units, probably worst game of the year. And not to say they were bad, but they've been outstanding yeah. all year. Um, and they were just, they just probably lowered their colors a little bit. Like you said, Jack Steele lowered his colors. Not that he was bad. Yeah, still had you know, 13, he had 13 tackles. Yeah. Exa- yeah. Exactly. 13 tackles still had five or six clearances. I think it was. Um, and, and still, you know, 20, plus touches. Um, and so it's not that he was bad, but he wasn't the outstanding Jack Steele that, that we've come to expect. And his opponent and, and did a little bit of damage, yeah. That's right. And, and you know, you, you normally expect, you know, a, a, an average Jack Steele game is a game where he gets 25 touches, kicks a goal, and, and his opponent is pretty much neutralised. And, and in this game, you know, he had his 20 touches, 13 tackles, but Tim Kelly had a real impact um, and was able to impact on the scoreboard, was able to impact on the game and make a real difference, um, which is something that we're not used to seeing out of, you know, the guy that Jack Steele plays on. Um, and, you know, Crouch, Crouch was was his worst game for the year. And, and you know, I think he, he probably hasn't had a game like that most of his career. It was probably one of the worst games of his career. Um, he's, a, he's a really consistently strong performer. Um, and, you know, like you said, whether it's one of those guys – you know, having their their standard game from the last four or six weeks or whether it's Rowan Marshall coming in, that's probably the difference. That's probably the difference that gets us over the line in the end in those final few minutes. But, yeah, for, for a number of small reasons, like you said, H, we just weren't good enough on, on the day and they were just that that bit better when it counted. Yeah, that's the, the, the funny one because it, it doesn't – I said, we, we know what it's like over the last two years to have losses that, that really hurt. This was one that had consequence. Like, if we win the game, we're a massive chance to play finals. You lose it and it hurts your chances, but it didn't – it wasn't as painful as those losses. For whatever reason, it's hard to explain why that was the case. But, um, yeah, it just didn't – I don't know, it didn't rip the heart out of the chest like some of the other ones have done. 
Yeah, and I think I think that's because you could see. I mean, you could see the the energy, yeah. the effort. You know, they really put in, and it wasn't like you said they we didn't lose they didn't because fail, we were bad. Per se. Yeah. That's right. There, yeah. there were no real. You know, I don't think I don't think there were any passengers on the day. They all kind of mm. gave really good effort. The energy was good. It's a big ground. We know that. We know it takes you know more than the average effort to get around that ground and and compete at every contest, and and they did that. Um, but they were just that, you know, the Eagles were just that little bit better and, and you can't, you know, you, you can't hold, um, blokes accountable for things that, that they didn't give when they gave it, you know, they gave the effort and, and they did everything asked of them and, and we were just, just weren't good enough on, on the night. But, um, I guess it's probably time that, that we touched on, uh, on Dan Butler because we, we were harsh on the bloke last week. And, and like I said, at, at the top, I think that was, um, I think that was necessary. I, I don't think we said anything out of turn. A, a few people have kind of come on, on the socials during the week or, or over the weekend and, and said that maybe we were, we were too harsh. And, um, you know, there's a few a few statistics and, and whatever that kind of suggest that maybe we're, we were a little bit harsh. But I guess from from my perspective, and, and I've put this out there a few times over the, over the journey, but when, when we talk about players being poor or poorer than expectation, I don't like to compare them against other players. I like to compare them against themselves. And for a guy like Dan Butler, we saw what Dan Butler's capable of. We, we know what he's capable of. And, and nowhere ever have I ever suggested that Dan Butler's not a good player. He's a very good player. And he showed us what he's capable of. Um, I, he's put up some decent effort numbers this year in terms of, you know, someone mentioned that, that he was um, you know, ranked elite for, for pressure acts in the league or, or he was... Um, yeah, a top player for tackle inside 50, had one and a half tackles inside 50 a game. Last year, you know, when he had his kind of breakout year, he was second in the league for for pressure acts. He was averaging two tackles inside 50 a game in 25 or 30% less game time. So I'm not talking, I'm not saying that he's a bad player, but I'm saying that up to expectation, he clearly hasn't performed. And you know, when you look at, at what a guy can bring to the team. He hasn't brought that to the team. He hasn't brought um, the energy that he brought last year in shorter game time. He hasn't brought the output that he brought to the team in shorter game time last year. And I think, you know, we talk all the time about holding guys accountable and making sure that they give that effort and they give that energy every week, contest after contest after contest. And I don't think he's done that. Um, you know, this, this was his best game for the year by a long, long margin. And I hope, I hope that he keeps that up because he makes such a big difference when he's on, when he's on, he makes a huge difference to the way that we play and the way that we structure and, and, you know, our, our forward 50, I'm sure he makes life easier for, for Max King and Tim Embry and, and those guys inside 50 as well, because he, you know, he makes space for them. Yeah, I think um, certainly, you know, over the second half of the year, his pressure rating had been good, but his impact with the ball was non-existent, which is equally as important to the role that he plays in that side. And, um, you know, for my main issue with him was the rising and the, the low percentage options when you're out of form and, and when the side needs things. And that, that on Saturday, it's the most possessions he's ever had in a game. Um but also what I did like was there were periods where he ran and carried, took two or three bounces, didn't like what was in front of him, stopped, turned around and fed the ball to a player in a better position rather than just going, oh, well, I can't see anything there, so I'll kick a 45-metre banana into the corridor and hopefully someone marks it or I'll handball it over my head or anything like that. He actually 
our first goal of the second half, we took three bounces, ran into about three or four players and thought, well, I can't do anything here. So we fed it back to Billings. Billings kicked it to King. King took a mark and kicked a goal. And I'm like, well, that's the percentage play. That's And the second... You know, yeah. just, just before you get onto that, that yeah. next one, one of the things that I think was most impressive um, from Butler in that play was after he gave it to Billings and he kind of stopped props, took a, a few steps back, gave himself some space, mm. fed Billings. Billings kicks long to King. As... Billings kind of takes that kick and, and goes forward. Dan Butler actually ran backwards mm. to fill up space in defense. He filled a gap in, mm. in defense, which previously he hasn't done. And it's these little things that, you know, like you said, it's not the Hollywood handball over the, over the shoulder. It's not the, the waiting at the back of the pack. It's, it's doing the team thing. And like you said, the last few weeks, he has been better at that, but there's been clear, I guess, breaches of that accountability. Um, and, you know, it was it was a very good game from Dan Butler on the on the weekend. H, how do you see him? Yeah, well, I was going to say one thing. A lot of people I think have kind of forgotten was the fact that he was in the Australian squad last year. He he was in that best forty players in the league. That that is a lot to live up to, and I think basically what everyone's been saying is he hasn't even got close to doing the same thing this year. He wouldn't even be in consideration this year it's that that's it be the where you're sort of looking going we, yeah yeah we, we, we barely know our team yeah mm, the league so. knows what the, the, the experts know what he can do we know what he can do but we just have not seen any of that this year and, and, and until this the game just gone we look at that that at what he did against west coast and go that's what we've been asking for mm. that, yeah. that that's as simple as it is those smart decisions those Doing the simple things. I mean, we've seen moments during the year, like the the pressurising the mark a few weeks back. That mm. that is great. Uh, chasing down a rich down that that was great mm. football. But there was other things that night. You go, that was just dumb. Mm. So it's just get just getting that balance of much, much like many more better things during a game than errors or wrong decisions or mistakes or, but yeah, getting the right decisions when the, when it comes up, the handballing it over to Hill the other way uh, to, yeah, over to Brad Hill yeah. to run into an open goal. Just, just, just those few little bits and pieces that will bring him back to that point that he was at last year again. Yeah, we need him. I mean, obviously Loney's lost form and Higgins has been in and out of the side. But if we're going to be fair income, then we obviously need him to get back to that level. And look, it worked last week, our, our Shannon Noel worked. So we might each do one this week. So I might give you some time to think about that. We'll do the 3-2-1 and the, the Shannon Noel for the, the week. But uh, I'll start whilst you think on that. I'll give um, honourable mentions to Brad Hill, who's in pretty good form. Um also honourable mentions to a couple of others that were, you know, pretty serviceable on the day, including Dan Butler. But I gave one vote to Jack Sinclair for his ball use and consistency over the course of the game. I gave two votes to Zach Jones, who was our best midfielder on the ground quite comfortably. And three votes definitely to, to Max King, uh, played one of the games of the year. So obviously we hope that he can push that on now and and continue that forward. And, and my Shannon Noel is um, is Tim Membry this week. I think he's had a pretty good year, but the last two weeks he's, he's battled a little bit. I think a couple of times inside 50 against Port Adelaide, he made a couple of errors. 
and just didn't quite have the impact you would have hoped against West Coast. I think he had 10 or 11 possessions, took four marks. I mean, he was getting, you know, 18 to 20 touches and taking nine or 10 marks a game and kicking a couple of goals a week. And he's not out of form necessarily, but he's had a couple of quiet games and uh, he could be the difference in, you know, some of these key games that we have to win over the next month. So I think we just need Tim Embry to, to recapture a bit of that spark, age. Um, you know, I, I thought about Tim and then I sort of thought someone we've seen improve over the last three, four weeks as well has been Ben Long. He went a bit missing on the weekend. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd like to see him along with Butler up forward, both showing us that, that great football mm-hmm. we know we can they can play because he, he found his spot up forward. And yeah, he could, if he could do what he did for those couple of weeks in a row for the last four weeks of the season, we're, we're right in amongst it. Achieved the extraordinary feat of missing a goal from the goal line. But anyway. The number of goals yeah. that some players have missed from incredibly a goal close, like, you know, We've seen Tim Embry hit the post running into an open goal. We've Josh seen... Bruce. Josh yeah. Bruce hit from the top of the goal square and now Ben Long from the goal line. Like, it's mm. just yeah. insane. Oh, yeah. that, 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 that was off, almost off the heel. It was that far off the side of the boot. It was, it was, he almost it was, didn't know He almost didn't know whether he was trying to kick it across goal or kick it through the yeah. goals. He seemed very indecisive yeah. in that moment. Like, the fact that he kicked it on that angle, the way that he did across the goal line, yeah. was bizarre. It just seemed like he was caught in two minds about what he was going to do. But, yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah. Well, Keeps happening. But so anyway, nice yeah. from that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I found uh, Darren. Darren didn't give him one, but I've, I found one vote for Butler. I think just finding that form. Just if you can find that form and you can show that and you put in that game, you say it's a, it was his best statistical game that he's had in his career. Kicked two goals, kept us in the game. Give us a few of that for the rest of the season, and yeah you're going to be back back where we want you. And, yeah, what we were saying last week, it was third, third in our voting last year. So mm. that's his first vote for the season. And, yeah, it would be nice to see him finish off with a few more. Um, okay, two to Zach Jones. Um, great great game. Um, gave us gave us everything he could. Um, obviously, a couple of other, the other senior players didn't get as much backup from him as, as much as usual, so he, he dug in and gave us everything he could. And yeah, Max six goals, one play West Coast every week. That'd be great. He's the, the one of the defenses that have been gets talked up about being so stubborn and so pick everything off. And he was just making it look easy against them a little bit. So the it, the ball stuck to his hands. We're, we've been waiting for it just to stick like that. The, the dropping them for a while there, he was marking them like that on the wing and then go down the forward line and drop it exactly the same sort of mark. And you think, Oh, why can't you take those marks on the, that you are on the wing down the forward. And that's exactly what he did on the weekend. They, they stuck and no roof and he kicked straight. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of toot and froed about my uh, my Shannon Noll. I, I thought about Brad Crouch, and and I thought everyone kind of gets a gets a free pass, and and this is kind of his free pass. I think he's he's been amazing pretty much all year since since he came back into the team from his suspension in in round two. I think it took him a couple of weeks to kind of understand how a midfield worked in in game, 
but since then he's been incredible. Uh, so I'm giving him a pass this week. But um, there were there were a few guys I thought about Dougal Howard potentially, um, but I I also landed on Tim Embry only because I I respect what he brings to this squad every week so much, and and his leadership at times this year has almost been you know Jack Steele level. His his leadership this year in moments you know pulling himself down back, um, taking intercept marks, contested marks, you know, in defensive 50, slowing the game down. Um, he, he brings an element of leadership and, and of um, football IQ or, or, or football understanding, I think, that no one else really in our squad brings. And it was, it was that. I mean, he wasn't poor. He wasn't poor on, on the weekend, but... He he just didn't show that same level, and and for me, I think that that was that was something that we we really could have used um, in some of those key moments, you know, in the second half of the second quarter, and then um, a bit through that third quarter and, and early in the last quarter. You know, I really could have used a, a, a stepping up of, of leadership, and um, you know, I think that was that was kind of the, the difference maker for for me for Membry. Uh, I love what Tim Membry brings. He's he's one of my first picked every week. Um, and yeah, that was the, it was the one, it was the one letdown I thought um, because he's, he's had a really good year in, in that regard. But um, H, you said he hasn't, hasn't got a vote all year until your one vote. I agree. I gave him one vote, 20 touches, four clearances, 11 score involvements and two goals. It was, was almost the, uh, the perfect kind of small forward, half forward, defensive forward type game. And, and like I said, his, his work rate was the best I've seen all year. Um, it was a, a perfect team game from a small forward um, and was really impressed with, with Dan Butler and, you know, credit where it's due. He was, he was in our top few players. Um, I've got honorable mentions. I must say it's unusual to have Jack Steele in honorable mentions, but he was good. He just wasn't great. And he wasn't Jack Steele level. Great. So he's in honorable mentions, Brad Hill, Jack Sinclair and Cal Wilkie, I thought was, was very solid on a day where our defense, like we spoke about earlier, probably lower their colors. Cal Wilkie still had, I think it was 10 intercepts or, or nine intercepts or, or something like that. And, and, you know, stepped up. We, we lost Tom Highmore um, before the game as well. And um, I thought he was, he was one of the right spots in, in that defensive effort. Um, but Zach Jones, two votes, 32 touches, 600 meters gained, seven clearances, eight inside 50, seven score involvements was, probably our most consistent player throughout the entire game. Just never stopped running, never stopped working. Was our best midfielder um, and had the most impact, I think, of, of all players in the middle of the ground. But yeah, you can't go past Max King. And that was, you know, we, we've been talking for a while about when was he going to get that that breakout game, that game that he kind of took over the, the entire four quarters. And, you know, he had a good game against the Eagles um, early in the year. He had a decent game against Richmond. Uh, but this, I mean, this was his... This was his breakout. This was him showing the rest of the league and and putting those other guys on notice. You know, putting defenses on notice that this guy is going to tear the tear the league apart for the next decade. Stop talking about Harry McKay. Stop talking about Ben King. This this can be Max King's league if he wants it, and he showed on the weekend that he wants it. Um, Eleven contested possessions, nine marks, eight of them contested, and six goals won. Um, you know, it was it was an amazing game. And he very nearly got us over the line. 
Yeah, he's played four blinders this year. He just didn't kick straight in one of them, and it ended up being a horror show against Geelong where he took 11 marks. But the two West Coast games, the Brisbane game where he swung the game on its head in the third quarter playing on Harris Andrews where he took 10 marks and most of them on him. Um, I thought special mention too, he didn't play a blinder, but I thought it was the most comfortable he looked at. And Claverino got a bit of the ball. Mm. thought he was solid enough. He'll probably lose his spot this week, but I thought he was okay. Uh, we'll get to that game in a moment, but our special guest kicked a very special goal, amongst other things he did in his career, of course, and that is Troy Schwartz. It was five points last year. It's five points at the moment, the other way around. Now the ball's loose. It gives St Kilda a rough chance. Black. Good hand pass. Voss. Schwarz now. The defender can run. And from a long way, roost it. This week's edition of Unplug It, we check in with Troy Schwartz, who played 71 games for the Saints between uh, his arrival at the club in 1999 and the end of 2006. Uh, played some terrific footy for the club, obviously noted for uh, a particularly memorable moment that sticks in all of our minds from uh, the clash with the Brisbane Lions in 2004 at uh, what was then, I believe, Telstra Dome. Uh, in a, a huge contest during a period of, a, of great rivalry between those two sides and uh, went on to play some fine footy that year and over the coming years as well. Now applying his trade in the real estate game, having done a fair bit of coaching in local footy. Troy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, boys. It's, um, it's an honour to be on the show. I'm, I'm not, not one of the biggest names to have played for the club, but um, and I was certainly happy when you had Michael Klim on last week that I was happy to move myself around. you got to you got to know your place, as um, as some of my coaches used to tell me. <laughs> now, being a, um, a December birthday, so we'll go back to the start of the journey. So you're obviously being born late in the year. Your draft eligibility makes you one of the youngest players. And as I understand it, at the time of being recruited to the Saints, you were the youngest player on any list in the AFL. Can you sort of take us through what it was like going there? Because at the end of 98, they just sacked Stan Elves. They just appointed Tim Watson. So it was a little bit of a, a strange time, I guess, to be arriving at a club. Yeah, I sort of didn't know any different in terms of what it was like when I arrived. But And um, and certainly there wasn't a lot of mention of Stan, even though they'd had a really successful period and probably should have won a flag in 97 and you know, probably had the best team really out of any era that you've seen in recent times barring maybe 2009, 2010, the 97-98 teams were, were bloody good teams. But, um, yeah, I got there as a 16-year-old, so I finished year 11. And I was actually on holidays with my parents and a draft note got sent to home in the mail. I think back then emails were a little bit foreign for people. So, um, yeah, so a letter arrived in the mail and we are in Queensland on an annual holiday that we do up to Queensland each year and, I think the neighbour was getting our mail and the neighbour called us and said, it was a letter from the AFL for Troy. 
and we got them to open it that said you've been invited to the draft camp, but we'd missed the we'd missed the cutoff date to respond. So I was pretty frantic that I, I, I didn't think I was getting drafted anyway, but I wanted the opportunity. So um, yeah, we quickly made some phone calls and then got myself on the list of the draft camp and went and did the draft camp at uh, it was in Waverley. I think it was a police force. It was the um, academy, I think, police academy. And that was a pretty grueling couple of days. That we just got smashed out there. And Mark Williams from Port Adelaide was really interested in me. And I still thought nothing of it. And then um, St Kilda had never spoken to me. And then draft day, they called my name out. So it was a big shock. What, what was that draft day experience like in those times? We, we've spoken to a few different types of players, some from kind of before draft and, and some since then. But what was that day like for you? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So we were at home um, and we had a pretty humble house in Dingley, which wasn't far from Moorabbin. So St Kilda was probably, of all the clubs to go to, it was the most convenient because I was 16. I wasn't going to get my licence for another year and a bit. Um, so it was handy to go there. But the um, I, I was sitting on the couch. I remember sitting on the couch at home. Mum was sitting next to me. My, I've got two brothers and they're both younger. They were at the back playing table tennis with my dad. And my name got read out and mum just started screaming. And I, I sat there in shock, really, that my name had even been read out because I, I really hadn't thought a lot about it. And I'd only played eight games in the TAC that year. And I played the last eight games for Pran Dragons, as it was then, and played pretty well in the finals in a couple of games in the MCG. And still didn't really think much of it because I missed out on the list originally at Dragons. So to get drafted in the same year was pretty ridiculous. Um, when you look back, but oh, mate, the phone just went off off the hook. Like we still had we still had the house phone, like mobile phones. I'm not even <laughs> sure that mum or dad had a mobile phone. So um, the the house phone just went off the hook, and people were running in the house. People by the end of the night, I think we would have had over 100 people at the house. I got thrown in the pool, fully closed in the backyard, and <laughs> I think there were people there were people really drunk um, that night at the house. It was it was a bloody good night, but um, they're very unexpected. Thrown in the pool in the middle of the night. That would have been a good introduction to going down to Moorabbin and the cold showers and everything there. That apparently well, never was warm water. So how was the getting to Moorabbin for the first time and soaking in? And what, how did you feel walking in uh, there? Just scared. Um, talk about cold showers. It's funny because I was the youngest. I'd, I was waiting in the showers one of the first times. And, you know, it's pretty daunting you're about to shower with Stewie Lowe or Spider Everett or one of these guys and you've never met them. You've watched them on TV and all of a sudden you've met them and now you're expected to have a shower with them. And so I thought it figured, well, you've got to get naked because if you don't, well, they're just going to grill you and they're going to give you a lot of grief. So I did that, but then I didn't realise that there was a there was a pretty severe pecking order and I was well and truly at the bottom of the pecking order. And we had cold showers after about, I reckon maybe eight or ten blokes got a shower and then they went cold. And I'd wait and each senior player would walk past me and they'd get to the shower first. And um, by the end, I'd have a cold shower because that's how it was. And I was the youngest, so you just had to you take your lot in life and, um, and cop a cold shower. But the first day was scary. I remember turning up to training. I was in school uniform because I'd been at school that day. I was doing year 11 at St. Bede's and turned up to training in school uniform and the boys gave me that much grief that I, from from where it go, they knew who I was because 
I was the kid who turned up in school uniform to go to their first April training session. Like the Angus Young routine for, for band practice. But uh, obviously, 99, uh, the club started well and then obviously faded. You were debut in 2000 in round four in a game that we got absolutely hammered in at the MCG by uh, by Melbourne. But you would win a game that year. We'd, we'd only win two games that year, but you'd play in one of those, which was the week that Tim Watson announced his, uh, his resignation. Can you sort of take us through 2000 when you got a bit of a look in and I guess what that was like having a coach uh, quit in the middle of the year and obviously see out the rest of that season? Yeah, it was strange. Um, it was just unusual because the club had been so successful for 97, 98, and then really started 99. We were playing really well. And then we had a game at Hawth- we had a game against Hawthorne at Waverley where we were 10 goals up at halftime, or give or take. Mm. Um, and we were flying. Tony Brown had 20-odd possessions to halftime. And apparently in the coach's box, they were laughing. And second half, we've come out and got rolled. And I think Hawthorne did the walk off the ground arm in arm, maybe that game, which was pretty famous at the time. And mm-hmm. I didn't play that game, but... Um, from, from all reports, the coaches were just having a laugh in the coach box. Tony Brown ended up on the bench. So for a bloke to have had 22 touches in a half and then end up on the bench in the second half was just – there were some unusual things happening. And um, so that – yeah, it was, it was sort of hard for me to comprehend because it was all new to me and I, I didn't really have anything to compare it to. I thought, well, this is AFL footy. This is how, how it is. And training was unusual. We, we were getting smacked and then we'd go to training and just get flogged like – I'm talking full floggings at five, six in the morning and carrying dumbbells, carrying each other, full wrestling, full one-on-one games. We, Tim Watson's philosophy was if we weren't going to try on match day, we were definitely going to try during the week. So we would just get hammered during the week. And um, it was funny because on the weekend we'd play and then we'd, then we'd all go and get drunk. And it was, it was just a really strange culture that everyone just – we drank a lot of grog. And I, I remember thinking – is this really AFL footy? Like we, we seem to go out a lot. And um, it was just the era when people would just, you know, you'd play and then you'd go and drink and Transformers were still up and running, um, Wild Bills. And I think we were seen there more frequently than we were seen at games. But um, you know, I debuted round four and actually played all right. And after the game, Tim Watson had four names on the board. My name was one. Um, and then the next week he came up to me and said, oh, we're going to drop you. And that was pretty deflating because I thought, well, if you put my name up as one of the positives after we've been beaten by 14 goals or whatever we've been beaten by, um, why would I then be dropped the week after? And I, I think in today's game, they wouldn't do that. They, they, you know, they'd, they'd play a young guy for one game and they'd probably give him a couple of opportunities. And it was just a strange thing. And then he decided that we needed to go with a more experienced team against Richmond. I think it was the next week and I think we got rolled. But... Um, yeah, it was strange times, but yeah, certainly playing your first game was oh, it was unbelievable. I, I think your feet don't touch the ground. You run on the MCG to play an AFL game, and it's just it's surreal. I think we were um, we were sixty three points up a couple of minutes into the second quarter of that game against Hawthorne. We had um, we had Tony Brown on uh, on the show about a month or so ago, and he kind of spoke about that feeling of the momentum turning and not being able to do anything about it when you're on on the field. And it's just a it was a really good chat actually, but uh, just. Um, I guess you mentioned coming to the club and there being that really well-defined kind of pecking order. Uh, you you were – or the pick that the club used on you in, in the draft was actually traded um, as part of the, the Matty Lappin to Carlton deal. And he was a pretty popular 
member of the, the club and the playing team at, at that time. What was the, I guess, through that period with, under Tim, um, there's, there's been a lot of, I guess, talk and rumours around the, the playing group being fractured and, and that sort of stuff. What was it like as a young kid coming in and trying to, I guess, you know, get your feet in, in that type of, of team environment? I don't know if we were, I, I, I wouldn't say it was a fracture. I, I, I think that everyone tried. Like we, yeah, we train. Training, I remember being bloody hard. And I remember Harbs, Lowy, Berkey, these guys just being animals on the track and um, just, yeah, serious, seriously fit guys who trained exceptionally hard. So I don't think anyone was fractured. I know, I know Matty Lapham was a popular guy at the club and I don't think there was ever a, a thought of me replacing him. And I'm not suggesting you're suggesting that, but... It was just, I don't know, it's it just something wasn't right because we had enough talent and we had we had the Wakelands, we had Spider. Um, yeah, we had, we had blokes still playing really good footy. I mean, Harves had just come off back-to-back Brownlows and was the best player in the comp. So we, we had we had some genuine stars. And um, Jason, he, he was still kicking goals full forward. But um, it was just strange. It was, And I guess my draft year, we, Lenny Hayes was in my draft. Um, Steve Baker, yeah, both ended up being yeah, club legends, really. Um, well, Lenny particularly. Bakes, Bakes was a different type of player, but still played over 200 games, one of the best and fairest. So to get that out of a draft crop, yeah, it was, it was a pretty successful draft. They got James Begley, who ended up playing you know, a few games and went back to Adelaide. Um, so, yeah, certainly when we came in, there, there was no thought of it being fractured and the players being upset the standard being given the flick, I think if anything, there were there were just stories about Stan's unusual coaching methods. But um, yeah, we're, we're happy to get Tim, and Tim was a legend of the game. So I think everyone just thought it was just going to be a natural thing for him to go into coaching, and as it turned out, it wasn't. So Tim leaves, and then Malcolm comes along and brings <laughs> along Hamill, Gehrig, Stephen Lawrence, um, just to name a few of them, and then drafted. Revolt, Kaziski, the team virtually completely changed if you look at it that way. We know it didn't go too well. You managed to get four games under under Malcolm. But how was how was the experience being coached by him? Was just completely different to anyone else you've ever had? Well, he wasn't there. So it, it was <laughs> it was just one of the most unusual things I've ever seen. We 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 went from training a lot. To he got appointed and we did three days a week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we did training at Monash um, in Clayton. So we'd drive out there in the morning and do weights on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we'd drive back in the afternoon and do running. And the running was brutal. Like it was just brutal running. Like five, five 1Ks was his thing. So we'd just work our way up to doing five 1Ks on seven minutes and you had to average a time and then you had to get close to that average every time and it was bloody hard. Um, but he wasn't there. So we used to joke that he was in a tree watching from a distance or that someone was there. Like, we, it was literally a joke. We were full-time footballers and we were training three days a week. Um, so it wasn't really a shock when we came around to playing and we somehow we won the first game of the year. Then we played the Bulldogs and won. And everyone thought, oh, Blighty's just the Messiah. Like, we, he doesn't even come to training. and We're just, we're winning games. And it quickly unraveled. Um, I remember, the funny story, I remember going into his office and, we had to go in for a review and we'd heard all these stories about Blighty and you walk into a dark room and he's standing on a ladder just abusing the crap out of the Adelaide players and they're, they're true stories. And um, 
and so I went into his office one day and he, he sat down and opened up. He didn't have a pen in his office, didn't have a bit of paper to write on. He had a landline phone and two books and the books were AFL yearbooks and they had every player in the competition in there. So he would, he, I walked in and he, I'm, I'm shocked that he knew my name, but he did. And he said, oh, Troy, you play a bit like, and he opened up the yearbook to Richmond, which was just a random team. And he goes, you play a bit like Greg Timmendale. He goes, or even, even Mark Chaffee. You play a little bit like him, don't you? And I went, oh, I don't know. Do I? And he goes, yeah, I think you do. And that was it. That was the meeting. That was the feedback about how I was going as a footballer <laughs> in a professional era. And, and I walked out going, what was that? Like, I, I had no idea. And it was just a complete farce. And, and really, I mean, he defends himself on radio now and on TV, but he, he cannot wholeheartedly look himself in the mirror and say that he was committed to the club. And we were just lucky that Grant took over when he did and, and harnessed a playing group where there was a bit of talent and then and then quickly drafted Lee Montagna, Nick Del Santo, Matt McGuire, Xavier Clark, and just it, it just turned the place around. Um, and then Luke Ball, I think, might have been in that draft as well. So, it, yeah, it, Malcolm Blightier was just really – if I saw him down the street, he wouldn't know who I am. There's no way, no. The funny thing is, um, even though I don't see a direct comparison, when you said he opened the page to Richmond, I said, he's going to say Greg Tivendale. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) It just came that way. But um, when it's uh, uh, 2002, obviously, um, with Grant starting that year with his journey, we got to, and you were playing regularly at that point, you played 20 games that season. But the famous draw in round five, you kicked a couple. I think it might have been the only two goals we kicked in the first half, I think, in that game. Uh, it ended up being an epic draw. Can you sort of take us through that? A bizarre tactical game, but we had about a thousand players out injured, and, and you seemed to sort of harness a bit of belief out of that. It was pretty amazing. Grant Grant had a really good rapport with the players, and um, he just sold us a vision of how we're going to play, and we we're just going to defend. And we, we really had, yeah, we were decimated, and no one gave us a show. And we should have won. Daniel Wolf hit the post in the dying seconds. And if he kicks the goal, we win. And for us to have won that game, like even a draw felt like a win because we, we played so much better than them on the night. And I think I remember I kicked the first two goals of the game that night. And, um, and then, and then it was just a dour struggle. And, but we, we just had this belief and we had this young group that were starting to, you know, we, we hadn't done anything at that point. I think we finished near the bottom again that year, but, but um yeah, that night was unusual. Like we, we just we just decided the wings were going to roll back. We were, we were going to have two less forwards, and we were just going to try and defend and hold on. Um, and, and we just went out with the belief. And the longer we're in the game and in the contests, I mean, I remember we lost, and we, we were all just devastated that we didn't lose. But we just the, the draw was unusual because they're always weird to play in. But the, the fact that we'd done so well and no one had given us a show, it was a really good. Um, it was just a really good game for us to gain a bit of belief, I guess. We've had a few of a few of that team on this show before and, and, and have spoken to a few of those guys. I guess, like you said, at the top, probably a bit higher profile uh, and probably a bit more well-known type of guys and have spoken you know, a lot about the type of guy and the type of coach that, that Grant was. And we've had Grant on a couple of times as well. But what was it like playing under Grant as, I guess, one of those lesser fashionable or lesser light type players? Um, look, Grant was hard. 
he, he was no doubt about it. He was hard. He, he loved the club. And it's funny, I'm reading the Boys Club book at the moment. If you haven't read that, you should read it. It's actually not it's a bad a great read. Story. It's a great book. But um, Grant Thomas talks about being in the room with Andrew Demetrio and telling him basically where to go. Um, and and they didn't get on. And Grant was sort of like that if he, yeah. But, but I think Grant genuinely sort of liked me and maybe saw a bit of me and him in terms of the way he played. And and he was frustrated with me sometimes and he, you know, constantly worked with me on, you know, little things and effort. And if I didn't give great effort, he was really disappointed and he, he sort of took it personally. I, I remember a game at the SCG, we're walking in the change rooms and we've been beaten. And I think it was when we won nine in a row or 10 in a row. We won 10 in a row at the start of 04. Yeah. And might have been, well, it must have been around 11 we played Sydney. And we famously went and watched a movie, um, which was called, Day after, after tomorrow. tomorrow. Day after yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Anyway, shocking movie. But we we went and watched a movie and then we and we lost. And I remember after the game, he hip and shouldered me and walking through the rooms. And I thought to myself, that's weird. And he apologised to me. And he also got Heath Black after that game as well. And he, he lined him up and hip and shouldered him. And he apologised to me, but he didn't apologise to him. <laughs> but um, but he was like that. It was just how it was. He, he was volatile. He could give a great spray, um, but at the same time, he, he was the first to nurture us and and cuddle us. And we'd go back to his house. We'd have dinner. Like on the drop of a hat, he'd have forty five guys at his house having dinner. And going from Tim and Malcolm, where yeah, I remember joking to Tim in my first year, and I shouldn't have done it, but I was young and silly, and he was mentioning something about watching the Super Bowl all together, and I just said off off the top of my head, I said, well, why don't we go to your joint, Tim? And Tim turned around to me and says, mate, if you turn up to my house, Troy, you'll be sent on a train back to Dingley. And I'm like, oh, right, eh? well, we're not welcome at your house then. But <laughs> but then going to Grant, who was just open-door policy, like I really felt with Grant that if I had a problem at three in the morning, I could have knocked on his door and he would have got up and made a cup of tea or a coffee and we would have sat down and talked about it. And that's, that's I think, how most of the players felt with him. Yes, but he had some very interesting coaching methods in, or just, just team methods, I guess. He had the first to really go with the overseas travel as a group, the rotating captain, the leadership group. He sort of brought those in. But one of the, one of the things a lot of people still wonder these days is, did he, did he hate Ruckman that much? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I always used to joke the air was different once he got over six foot five. So they're all a bit special, Ruckman. Um I mean, look, we, we tried to get Dean Cox, I think, in uh, 03 or 04. And imagine our team if we had got him. Mm. End um, of 04. You know, so yeah. so you, look at, you look at that and you, you think, well, if we had him in 05 and we lost a prelim, and you'd argue that with him in that team, yeah, he's all Australian Ruckman. So I don't think he underrated them. I, I think he rated them really highly, but there was only a few in the comp that he rated really highly. So... Uh, he put me in the ruck against Sandlin's one game because we had no ruck when everyone was injured. And he goes, you're going to ruck this week. And I remember rucking against Sandlin's at the centre bounce. I'm looking up at this giant just going, <laughs> I'm six foot three. How am I going to get up anywhere near this guy? But he said, mate, just jump up and punch his arm. And the midfielders <laughs> just get to his feet because the ball's not going to be hit anywhere if you punch his arm at the right time. So I don't think he didn't rate Ruckman. I think he really did rate Ruckman, but he only rated the really good ones. And really, when you look at it now, there's still only a few really good ruckmen in the comp. Some clubs have got a ruckman that really, they're not that great. They just have a ruckman because you're meant to have a ruckman. 
a lot of ruckmen are great journeymen. You get a lot of ruckmen that play for nine years at four clubs and play 53 games or something like that with, with that length of time in the, in the system. There's well, plenty of them. Well, you look at, them Hickey. Going yeah. look at Hickey. Yeah. And, and yeah. Hickey, Hickey would have been delisted seven, you know, however many times over. Mm. But um, but he goes to Sydney this year. He's nearly 30. Yeah. And he starts playing his best footy. And you do start playing your best footy when you're in your late 20s and 30. Mm. So yeah. it, it's just that he's so big that they've just kept giving him opportunities. Now, obviously, um, 02, you played a lot of games. 03, we gradually got better as a group and, and just missed the finals. I think we won 11 games that year. 04, we win the preseason. Uh, I think we actually had a run, if you count preseason, we won 18 out of 19 because we won our last well, four of our last five in 03, then all the preseason games in the first 10. But uh, round six against Brisbane. So as I understand it, you weren't originally in the team, but Aaron Hamill was a late withdrawal. You played. You had three kicks and, and one of them the most famous of your career and one of them the most famous probably ever by a St Kilda player in a home and away game. And I just remember from, from that game personally, and I know the, the other guys might chime in as well, that uh, it's the loudest roar I've ever heard, probably alongside Goddard's mark in the drawn grand final. Um, if you watch the replay of the game, you can actually see the camera shake from the noise within the ground. But um, can you sort of take us through that piece of play? Because I get the feeling that everybody in the ground, when you got possession of the footy, thought you were a massive chance of kicking that. <laughs> I reckon no one in the ground gave me a chance. But um, <laughs> the, the funny thing is, yeah, I wasn't meant to be playing. And then the morning of the game, I got a phone call saying that Aaron was out, I was going to play. So that's great. And I, and I, I hardly played that night. I think I was on the bench for, yeah, it was back in, it was just before rotations really came in. And, and so I'd, I'd spent most of the night running up and down the boundary line, keeping myself warm. So I think the only reason I kicked the ball so far was because I was so fresh. <laughs> and um, no one else on the ground would have been able to kick it that far. But um, it was a strange night. I, I remember, yeah, it was a cracking game. It was just up and back and it was goals and it was, you know, Lenny at his best and Rui and, you know, all these guys were just just flying, playing great footy. And they were coming off, you know, they'd won three in a row. So they were the, the big dog and we were trying to take them down and, um, and I remember I came on the last quarter and I didn't even know where I got put. And they just said, you go on. So I thought, well, I'm fresh. I may as well run up and down and just try and get a bit of footy. But um, I remember Simon Black, I ended up on him at one point and he went to push off me and turned around and punched me straight in the face. And if there, was, if there were cameras like there are now, he would have got weeks for it. And I remember chasing him for a minute. I don't know what I would have done if I had caught him. I couldn't fight my way out of a wet paper bag. But... Um, <laughs> But I, I remember chasing him and he turned around to me and said, mate, I'm really sorry. Like, I, I didn't mean to do it. And so I was seeing stars for a bit. And then Aussie kicked the point and somehow I ended up on the wing. I, I might have been meant to have been playing wing. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, somehow we the kick-in came and it went to Heath Black and then it went, yeah, Heath Black to Brett Voss and then Brett Voss out to me. And I didn't really think anything else. I just thought, well, I may as well have a shot. And um, I had a shot and luckily it went through. And I, as I kicked it, I thought, geez, I hope someone wasn't on 20 metres out on their own. But Because um, I just had tunnel vision for the goal and thankfully it went through. And, yeah, the noise was ridiculous. So it was, it was seriously the loudest noise I've ever heard in the football ground. And um, and we we just went off and then everyone went started into, we better get all the numbers back because it wasn't long to go. And we were a few points up and the siren went and we, we win the game. But, um, yeah, it was... It was certainly weird, and the fact that I hadn't been on the ground much, mum had actually gone home. So mum was in the crowd, and my dad hadn't gone to the game because dad didn't like big crowds and couldn't be bothered with the traffic. So he goes, I'll watch it on TV at home, and it's probably the only game he missed. 
really. Because from then on, he came to every game. And um, so I was shattered that he wasn't there. And then mum was in the car park driving out. She heard it on the radio. She came back in and came to the change rooms crying. I said, what are you crying about? She goes, I missed it. So it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was quite funny. Yeah, I was just having a quick look. It, it's 17% game time. So, yeah, you would have been cold up until that point. And, I was um, I, I, Yeah, I can, I can say I was directly behind to directly behind the kick. And as soon as it was off the boot, it was going through. It was, it was, it, it went straight. Um, yeah. So it was a, it was a, it was a very good kick. I knew it's, it was through as soon as it was off the boot. It's funny. I, I get so many people that come up to me even now and say that we're at the ground and um, it's, it's, it's just a, you know, it, it's weird because I, I, I must have a recognizable face because I haven't played for 15 or 16 years. I still get people pegging me going, I went to an appraisal the other day of a house in Sorrento, and as we were walking through the house, I saw a St Kilda jersey, and I thought, oh, that's a good sign. I might get the property here. And um, anyway, I, I thought, I won't mention it because it's not my place to say, oh, you know, I played. And um, so I didn't say anything. And at the end of it, we were chatting about the house and what I think it's worth and how we're going to sell it, what method, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, can I shake your hand? I said, yeah. And he shook my hand. He goes, "Thanks for kicking that goal in 04, mate." And it was just—it was just one of those. Like it still happens now. My my boss is Swedish. He's got no idea about football, and wouldn't know one end of a football from the other. And he looked to me. He goes, "What's his kick?" And I'm like, "Well, I'll show it to you one day on YouTube. I've got it saved somewhere." <laughs> yes. Anyway, there you uh, go. I'm not sure you're giving yourself enough credit. I reckon Parker's right that when when that ball landed in your hands, I reckon most most St Kilda supporters in the ground thought that you were a real shot at kicking that. If anything, you were known for for being able to roost the ball, and and you know, I think we all kind of thought that you were you were a chance there. But you mentioned uh, Aussie's point. Um, it's probably <laughs> something that that maybe doesn't get mentioned quite as much as as the goal. But what, what were you thinking at that at that point? Did you see it? What, what did you think at, at the time? No, well, I was on the other side of the ground. And so where I ended up was where I was, I think, when the ball went through. And um, so I didn't actually see it go through for a point or out in the full, and I didn't think anything of it at the time. They called a point. And, you, know, you, you sort of get taught from a young age, you just play you play to the whistle or you, you play it out. And so if it's a point, well, then you just set up for a point. So I set up for a point, and thankfully Brisbane kicked it out the other side, and then I, it ended up with me on my own. And I, Look, maybe I was meant to be defending, and that's why I was on my own, but I figured that, we had to win the game all behind, so I, I'd rolled up. But um, as you said, I had 17% game time. I was pretty fresh. And, um, yeah, when I got it, I guess I had the fresh legs. And, yeah, I could, I could kick a footy, and that, that um, thankfully that night it came off. Would, it, would have earned you a few beers around Moorabbin in the following weeks. I don't think we didn't drink much after that. It was funny, that, that era, we, we really didn't drink. I, I remember going, like, months on end without having a drink. And um, and it was it was sort of strange if you we went from 99 2000 where we really drank a fair bit. And after games, we'd have blokes walking off going, let's get twisted. And you now we'd end up at twisted at all hours and then recovery the next morning. And there's some funny stories about recovery. I'm not sure if I can tell them, but yeah, Stephen Baker one him. morning, Stephen Baker one morning drove to recovery and he was driving on the footpath to the King Club in his old VL Commodore. And he went home, went to bed, woke up and thought he'd missed rehab. And he'd been swimming in a pool. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was the sort of stuff that was going on. Like, it was just – and even even Stevie Baker, who I love, like, he's just a legend and um, still one of my best mates. But he – one of the first training sessions, he got on the grog with Barry Hall in our first year. 
And I remember Barry trying to wake him up. Barry couldn't wake him up. And I remember Tim Watson just pulled him over the coals and just said, mate, you know, if you think this is the way it is. And Barry Hall threw a bucket of water over him in his bed to wake him up and couldn't wake him up. He was that drunk. And um, so that was sort of the start of my career. So, but by 04, we, we really, really weren't drinking that much. And I remember we had a drink after we won the, um, the Wizard Cup. But then from then, we had the week off after it. And then really after that, we really didn't drink much until we had a break again. So it was, um, it, it really changed. Professionalism changed a lot yeah, really quickly. It's amazing too what, what Aaron was talking about before with your 17% game time. In that game, 11 players played 100% game time. That doesn't happen with anybody these days, but 11 players on the ground across both sides had 100% game time. But um, you'd yeah. play 17 that year, including a final against Brisbane where we got a bit of a touch-up and uh, 05 and, and 06. But 06, you were playing some of your best footy. You went forward, you, you kicked a few against Port. You were looking pretty steady. Can you sort of take us through how that came to an end. 2006 was a bit tumultuous. Grant Thomas would end up losing his job as well. And I think most St Kilda supporters, and certainly I was one, I thought you were a near certainty to get another contract during that year. Yeah, I, I, I thought I was as well. I, I, I had a contract on the table and um, probably stupidly didn't sign it because it was all it all happened quick. And I think it was, it was quite political the way Grant was sacked. And there was a falling out of friendships and he probably tells it differently. But I think that, you know, the blokes that sacked him really, he was sort of gunning for them and they were gunning for him and they had more power than him and they could sack him. So they did. But um, it was certainly a strange time. I I remember that we were on, well, 2006, I think I played 13 in a row and um, I might have missed the first round, but I played a pre-season game against West Coast where Grant made me play 100% game time. And we played West Coast at full strength over there. And we took half a team. And he made me play the whole game. And I actually played really well. And after the game, he, he came up to me and shook my hand and said, mate, I, I can't believe you played the whole game. In that, it was like 38 degrees or something. And um, he didn't give me a break. And it was all about toughening me up. And it worked. I mean, I went out in the VFL the first week. Didn't get picked in the AFL, which I was disappointed about. But went out in the VFL and just I was clearly best on. And so they had to pick me the second week and then, um, or whatever it was, second week or third week. And, um, and then I played every game. Um, and then I did my hamstring against Hawthorne. And that was it. And from there, it was only a little hamstring, but it was every time I nearly got back to playing, every three weeks I'd be close to getting back and I'd do it again. And so I did that three times, re-injured it three times. And I remember sitting in the stands in 06, we were decimated with injury and Melbourne got us in a final at the MCG and I was sitting in the stands watching and I think Hamill was watching, Kaczynski. Um, we had quite a lot of good players sitting in the stands not playing and Melbourne got us and um, the, the rest is history. But then Grant got the sack on the Monday and we were on our mad – I think we are on the mad Monday or the Tuesday, one of the two. Grant got the sack. Word came back to us that he'd been sacked and, and we just couldn't believe it. Like we, we were literally in a state of shock and – half the playing group went to his house and the other half didn't know what to do because we were like, well, do we want to go to his house or do we not want to be seen there? Because we weren't sure who was in control. And then we went to the club the next morning and they said, oh, yeah, we, Rod Butters got up and said, well, we sacked Grant and you've got to take the emotion and remove from the decision. And, you know, we know you blokes are close with him, but it was all about this. And it just seemed weird at the time. And then Brett Voss said to him, well, what are you going to do about players in their contracts? And they hadn't thought about it. And they had no, they had no answer because Grant was doing all the contracts at the time. And they said, "Oh, we'll come back to you on that." 
And really at the time I should have signed and just gone, you know what, I've got a one-year offer, I'll take it and we just move on. But I didn't sign it and then Ross Lyon turned up and my first training session, I wasn't the greatest long-distance runner. We did a a distance run first up. I came in last. The next morning at training I was in there and I got a message doing weights from the weights coach saying, oh, they want to see you upstairs. And I, I just thought, oh, they want to sign me up because I had a contract there. And we were just negotiating bonuses per game. And I think I had a base salary of 60 grand or something. It wasn't a lot of money in today's footy, but um, but it was an offer and I was happy to sign it at the 60-plus games. And then I just wanted bonuses if I played 15, 18, 20 games that I got X amount of bonuses, which was pretty straightforward and standard. Um, and when I walked upstairs, Ross followed me into the room. I thought, it's a bit strange that the coach is following me in to talk about my contract. And then he said, yeah, we're going to sack you. And it was pretty brutal. Um, he walked out of the room. Kenny Sheldon had just come into the club and he wasn't involved previously, I don't think. And they were just, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cold discussion where it was just, you know, we know you've been here for a while, but we're not going to go with you. We want to go with someone else. And I remember going downstairs at Moorabbin and I was upset. I walked out to the car park and slid around the back of the car park into the change rooms, got my locker, just grabbed my keys out of locker, ran to my car and just drove home and left everything else at the club. And I ended up calling one of the boys and said, mate, I think I called Jason Blake. I said, Blakey, can you clean my locker out? He goes, what are you talking about? I said, mate, I need all my stuff. I've been sacked. And he goes, what? And then Lenny got home. So I was living with Lenny at the time and um, Lenny was ropeable. And Lenny got home and I was sitting there. He goes, what are you doing? I said, mate, I've just been sacked. And he goes, he, he was like, you're, I don't know if I swear on this, but, um, but he, was, he, he just said, oh, you're fucking joking. He goes, and he, he just, he couldn't believe it. He goes, they make us take pay cuts and they sack blokes like you and blah, blah, blah. And it was just one of those things that happened. But as it turned out, probably a blessing because I, I ended up in Sorrento and the rest is sort of history. But um, Grant Thomas helped me get to Sorrento. So it was sort of funny that Grant got the sack and then, just after that, Grant called me and said, what are you going to do? And I said, mate, I don't know. I was, I was sort of planning on playing footy for another year or two. Hmm. And he goes, um, he goes, well, I know the bloke that owns the Sorrento Hotel. And he said, there's worse places to live than Sorrento. Why don't you go down there and have a look around and see what you think? So I, I ended up driving down and I've stayed here ever since and I'll, I'll probably never leave. It's a pretty good lifestyle. Now, one thing with the team list and contracts and all that sort of thing, and at one point your brother came on, to the list just as a rookie um never got to play senior football with him which which obviously would have been something you would have loved to have done i'm sure at some point and he stayed on for a couple of years then headed off to north and played senior yeah did the two of you ever go oh we sit down and think well we wish we'd one of those games at least had been in the red white and black for but both of you it's funny we we played in i think four premierships together at sorrento and um, and we loved those times, and it was just yeah, you know, it was great fun. And um, but we we don't really sit down now and talk about AFL much at all. It's it's funny. You, oh, I'd beers with him. I probably shouldn't say we're in lockdown, but I, I might have snuck around to his house and had a beer on the weekend. But um, <laughs> but um, but you, we just don't talk about it. It's just um, it's funny. It's weird that we were both on at the same time. It's unusual. Um, and Lee Fisher is actually our cousin, and and Lee's um, so Lee was my dad's sister's son and so he's a first cousin and I think at one point we're all on the list maybe together um 
which I don't need to look back on, but I, I think we're all there at the same time, which was strange that from the one family we're all there. So it's, um, yeah, we don't look back on it now, but it was great that he, he got to go to North and ended up playing 11 games, I think, and made a bit of a name for himself there. Yes, um, last one for me. Mate. It's a little bit of a, a two-parter, but your, um, your first year at St Kilda, you played in the 99 uh, Reserves Grand Final, and there are a couple of handy players on that, that Essendon list. Um, that beat us in, in that grand final, including Stephen Milne. And I was watching a few of those highlights of, of the game a little bit earlier, and you were in a few of them. Did you did you line up on Milne at all that day? And I, I guess the second part of that question is, in in those first few years when you were kind of in and out of the team as that you know, um, halfback, running defender type thing, you, you copped a bit of flack from from the supporter base and, you know, the, I guess the footy community. What, what sort of impact did that have on you as, as, a, young, as a young bloke? Yeah, it wasn't easy. Um, I remember the 04 Wizard Cup. I, I don't think it, the, the supporters weren't really into me at, at that night because I got booed when I got up and got my medal, which um, which was strange. And I, I remember being booed, and I was like, "Yeah, I, it was just it was just weird." And I I thought, "Well, geez, my days might be numbered here um, if, if people don't like me." And um, so yeah, it was it was sort of strange, but that's the way fans were, and I guess everyone's got an opinion and. I guess the majority of opinion was I wasn't that great, but um, but it was funny. The '99 Grand Final, um, yeah, we you know, they had a great team and we had a good year in the twos. And I guess it reflected the fact that we probably finished poorly in the seniors and a few senior blokes were playing in the twos, which probably improved our side. But um, yeah, Milne's mum was in the crowd and he, she screamed out, "That's my boy! That's my boy!" <laughs> and Milne's ended up being one of my best mates, but we still give him grief for that. And because the next year he turned up at training. Everyone was a bit like, we don't like this bloke. And he, he just beat us in a grand final. He was just trapping the whole game. and You couldn't shut him up and he's kicking goals out of his ass. And we quickly worked out that he did that pretty well <laughs> and did it most weeks. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was strange that he's ended up being a really close friend. And I caught up for dinner with him and Dell just before the last lockdown. Um, there was Schneids was in town because they were in town because he's GWS and um, Blakey was there, Lee Montagna, Bakes, Milne, Farron Ray. So a few of us got together and had dinner, which was nice. But, um, yeah, Milne's he's a bad man to play against and probably a pain in the ass to train with, to be brutally honest. But, um, but yeah, good bloke to have around the club. You'll, um, you'll have to have a word to, uh, to Bakes for us because I've been trying to get him on the show for a couple of years now and he always, he always pikes pretty late in the process. He says, he says yes and he goes, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to do it. Don't want well, to gotta... hate media. Well, I mean, it's not even media, really. I think you guys did exactly. a bit of fun. Like, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I, Bakes, it's funny, last night Bakes put a post on of me. I, I got a message off him a couple of days ago and goes, mate, can you send me a profile picture of yourself? And I'm like, you want a profile picture of me? And um, so I sent him a screenshot of me in a suit. And he wrote back, not a screenshot, dickhead, a real one. And I'm like, okay, no worries. So I sent him the actual, I said, give me your email address. I emailed it to him. And last night it comes up in my newsfeed that he's put a post up saying, if you're looking to buy a property on the peninsula, Troy Schwartz is your man, blah, 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 blah. I couldn't believe it. And um, I sent back to him, I think I sent him a message saying, I love you, mate. And, um, yeah, that's the sort of stuff he does. But you need to get him on. I'll I'll call him after this and say, mate, the boys are going to get you on. It's a a good thing. They can have a laugh. They can ask ask him about driving to training and not knowing you drove and driving on the footpath. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, there's so many, so many funny stories with Bakes. We could literally write a book about some of the things that he used to get up to. But, um, yeah, not knowing, not knowing who players were. Like he, he was just a 
he was just the most brutal player to play the game. I would have hated to play against him. And when you look at someone like Gary Book Jr., never wanted to play on him because he was yeah. genuinely scared of him. He was everything you want in a teammate. And I remember Grant Thomas just he Grant Thomas just loved him because he was just as tough as they come. And he'd run through a wall for his mates and played injured a lot and just it was like he had no pain, but well, Troy, thank you very much. It's been great uh, sharing that journey with you, obviously reflecting on some of those good times and, and not so good times as well. But you did leave a uh, very much a lasting legacy at the club and obviously a memory that will sit with St Kilda fans forever. And thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, boys. Pleasure to come on. And I'll um, I'll send Bakes a message now saying that he's got to jump on with you guys one night. And you'll, you'll certainly get a laugh out of him. And um, hopefully he's had a couple of drinks before he jumps on and he'll tell you some funny stories. <laughs> Sounds that's like that's good. inevitable. So. <laughs> so it probably is, yeah. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. All right, guys. Troy Swartz for that monster drop punt that lifted the roof off the Telstra Dome in front of 52,000 people in 2004. We look ahead to Carlton. There won't be 52,000 people at, at uh, the Dome, unfortunately. This Friday night, there'll be none, um, as we're still obviously living in a life without crowds. But um, a big opportunity against a, a Carlton side that's clearly in a a mini crisis, if you will. They've got a lot of players out injured. Uh, they will welcome Charlie Kerno back, even if they do lose or probably lose Harry Mackay, amongst a few others as well. Uh, some of their midfielders uh, a little bit down at, at present, but they've, they've been competitive enough in games this year to suggest that they will remain uh, a fairly dangerous uh, group uh, that we do have to respect. If we win the game, as I say, we'll, we'll be in the eight on Friday night, um, subject to what happens over the course of the weekend. Uh, we have some good and bad news in the selection front. Obviously, Rowan Marshall will have served his quarantine. He's okay. Hunter Clark will come back a little earlier than expected. Tom Highmore, I think he's playing in a glove and should be okay. Um, and Jack Higgins, who's missed the last few weeks of the back issue, will come in. But we will lose a man that's been in our best five over the course of the year in Jack Sinclair to a minor hammy, which will hopefully be just this week. So it's kind of a lot of the Saints at the moment. We get some good luck on the injury news, but it always comes with a disclaimer and we lose somebody for one reason or another. But um, look, Carlton's outs versus their ins and our outs versus our ins is worse off for them than it is for us. So uh, a big opportunity. Clearly, they got a touch-up against North. Do they respond to that? We'll see. But, um, yeah, I think if you look at those changes for us, you would think Highmore for Claverino, Higgins for maybe Kent, perhaps, and then Marshall for Hunter probably seems, Nick, the the, the logical passage. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I mean, you, you don't want to make... Like I said, it was, it was a pretty good team performance last week. So you don't want to make too many changes that you don't have to make. But obviously those guys all mentioned are all, you know, first 22 guys and they've got to come in if they're ready. Um, On oh, Clark uh, for Sinclair, obviously. Clark, Sinclair Clark for Sinclair is, is, yeah. is the one that the one out for, mm-hmm. for injury. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just on that, I mean, that that's a pretty impressive comeback from that injury for, for Hunter Clark. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we, we all spoke for a few weeks after that happened that, that he was probably done for the year. And why would you bring him back for for a year or two at the end of at the end of the season, um, coming off that sort of injury? You know, why would you why would you risk it? But uh, that's that's an incredible comeback. Um, but you know, we, we've got to respect for all their issues. You've got to respect Carlton. I mean, that there is the potential that they could have the Colin medalist and the Brownlow medalist this year. Um, Harry Mackay is likely to win the Coleman. Um, 
Sam Walsh is is a shot at the Brownlow. I mean, he's a very, very good player. Yes, he is. And yeah. and potentially still underrated around the league when you you, know, you you compare him to some of the guys that are you know you talk about for the Brownlow and you've got the Bont and you've got Petrarca and Clayton Oliver and Ollie Wines and those guys. Sam Walsh is probably still underrated. Uh, but he's a very, very good player and, and he's a he's a shot at the Brownlow, a genuine shot at the Brownlow. Um, and I don't think a team has had the Colin medalist and the Brownlow medalist in a team that hasn't made finals since us in 87 with Plugger. It was the same both yeah. The same player. So it's a slightly yeah. different situation. Mm. But, you know, I think for, for one of these teams, it's season over. You know, both teams still have, a, you know, a real shot at, at that eighth spot. Whichever team loses this week is probably done. Um, and I think that's that's a realistic view of, of the rest of this season. Um I think you know, Carlton showed us last year um, that, that they could they could take us, um, and and historically, I think we've we've shown that we're the the better team. But you know, on on their day when they play well and and we don't play as well, they can beat us. And and um, you know, we've got to be wary of them. We've got to respect them on the day because when they turn up, they can they can beat a lot of teams in this in this league. So um, they've got a lot of good players. But you know, I'm I'm backing us to kind of right the ship this week. I'm not sold on us playing finals. I'm not sold on us winning that eighth spot, but I think, I think we get over the line this week. Um, and you know, I think guys like Steele and Crouch and Dool Howard and you get Rowan Marshall back. I think those guys all stepping up to, to get back to, to their kind of best football. And, um, you know, some of the ins that, that you get in um, Higgins and, and Clark in particular, bring back a, a bit of that class and polish that, that we've potentially missed, you know, for all the, the effort and work rate and, and, all that sort of stuff that, that we've shown over the last month, getting those guys back to provide a bit of polish and skill and, and, you know, just natural talent, I think um, is, is a, is a huge boost to us. Um, so I'm honest, I'm honest this week, um, but it is one that, you know, we've got to turn up and we've got to play four quarters of footy. Yeah. I think you might be being a little bit generous to Carlton. I think that lost the North last week, pretty much, pretty much finished them off there. I, I think they're going to struggle to, Win, I mean, they have to win all four and win them convincingly to make the finals. So, I think they're probably shot now. So, that losing to North last week is it's a good sign for us in the way that they've beaten, they've lost to zone they should should have beaten. Um, if if they were serious about making it, on the other hand, you look and go, okay, they've lost to a team they shouldn't lose to how they come back is the next week's always a worry. Um, you get a little bit concerned about that. you got Kurnow coming back who hasn't played for two years, basically two and a half years almost. Um, I think I heard tonight it was the last game he played was Teague's first game or something. So it was a yeah. interesting one to hear that yeah. memories back to Jason Cripps and the similar sort of situations there. And, um, but yeah, the, they're they're an unknown this week when you look at them. Um, I think two you got go back two years now. We hadn't towards the end of the year as well, and that became a very disappointing loss to them. Um, again, that we sort of thought, well, we should win this game, and yeah, just couldn't get it done. So, if we're serious enough, we get out there and we win. They're on paper we should win. It's a matter of what we do with yeah Walsh. Can we hold Mackay? Can we 
break open their back line, which it's not they're not a big back line. That that's one thing they do intercept well though. Yeah, yeah, we, like we doing is if, if, yeah, no dog any yeah. helps, and and Mackay's likely to miss, which helps a lot. So. Yeah, so if mm. if Max can hold a few again this week against Wiedering, I mean, he's beaten him before, so that that well, win those key matchups. Thousand marks on Wiedering last week, so hopefully, yeah, um, hopefully he's been Max down on do form. The same. Yeah, so if you win those key matchups, you get you still can get back to his best and beat Walsh in the middle. If um, you hold Cripps, Cripps hasn't been the best this year. You can keep him down and get to minimal minimal output. Um, win the ruck contests because yeah, we know they're down on ruckman at the moment. So it's just winning those win position by position by position, and the game should roll on, and you can you can take the win from that from there. Yeah, with the relative health, I know we've been decimated by injury, and just last week we were severely depleted. But with the relative health of the two lists, we should win this game, especially given everything that's happening in the background for them and and all of the stuff they're sorting through. Um, but they have been pretty competitive in most games they played this year, with the exception of last week, which would have raised some alarm bells for them. But yeah, it's a box we have to tick. There are some big boxes to come after the game, but they don't mean anything if we don't tick this one first. So get through this and then... Uh, sink your teeth into the challenges that sit in the likes of Sydney and, and Geelong in the following weeks because you're going to have to get one of them. So, um, yeah, just get the job done, respect the opposition, find a way through, uh, understand that they can get you, just make sure they don't and uh, live to fight another day because it's a week-by-week week prospect for us at the moment and we'd love to still be alive when we reconvene next week. But uh, enjoy Friday night. We creep closer to potentially being able to go to the footy again. Maybe, probably not the Sydney game, but but maybe the Geelong and, and certainly the Fremantle game, you would think, looking relatively positive for some crowds in attendance. But uh, good luck. Go Saints and hopefully win number nine.